We're going to start a new series today, and this being uh, the month of May, which is Mother's Month. Uh, next week is, in case any of you guys happen to forget, this is your fair warning right now. Next week is Mother's Day. Don't forget mothers. Uh, we'll have a special day here uh, for all of our mothers, but we're going to start this series called Woman of God. Any women of God in the house today? Come on. That's what I'm talking about. We wouldn't be here without you. We literally know that. But uh, there are many stories in the Bible of heroic women of God. And we're going to take some of those women, some of those characters. We're going to learn some lessons from their life over the next few weeks. Uh, and no matter what circumstance you are in life, what your situation is, every one of us can learn from these women of God. Uh, now, the book of Joshua introduces a woman that probably wouldn't be uh, on your list of women of God. Might not be. Could be. Might not be. Uh, but the book of Joshua introduces Rahab. Rahab. And that's where I'm going to start off this series, Woman of God, with Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute in the Canaanite uh, city of Jericho, uh, known for helping the Israelites defeat Jericho, and then also for her place in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Her story begins with the invasion of Jericho by the Israelites. And we're going to pick it up in Joshua chapter 2, verse number 1. You can follow along with me there on the screen, in your Bibles, on your phone, uh, by memory, whatever. Joshua chapter two, verse number one. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land. And he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Now, Israelites have just crossed over the Jordan River. They made their way toward the city of Jericho. And uh, Moses has, has passed away. Uh, the leadership of uh, Israel is now turned over to Joshua. This is their first major challenge as they cross over Jordan. And in order to spy out the land to see what they're up against, Joshua sends two spies in. They go in and it's kind of confusing maybe to some. It says they went into the house of a prostitute named Rahab. But most of us probably have a good picture of Jericho, a fortress city with walls all the way around. Uh, poor people would live on the outskirts of the city. Those were the suburbs of Jericho. They, they would live on the outside of the city and uh, oftentimes would operate businesses out there. And it was a way you could get into the city through the business or through those homes that were built on the outside of the city wall. And that's where Rahab and her family lived. They actually operated like a tavern. And the best way I can see it, at least in the day and time, there would be kind of like an old Western saloon where you'd have the, the bar downstairs and then a set of stairs, flight of stairs that would go up to the hotel rooms. And there would be uh, saloon girls there that would entertain. Well, it was kind of like this it was a tavern, but it also was a brothel. And so they go in, the spies go into this place and they go there primarily because I believe that they thought they could get in without being recognized, without being noticed, and could enter into the city through this way. So they go into this bar scene and, and they're, they're standouts. I mean, they, they don't look 
the part. They're not dressed the part. They don't sound the part. Uh, they're probably off secluded on a table, whispering, trying to figure out their plan, or they may be asking people questions about the security of Jericho, and that puts people on alert. Either way, their, their presence there is recognized, and word gets back to the king. Verse number two says, the king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they've come to spy, on, spy out the whole land. But the woman who had taken the two men, Rahab, and had hidden them, she said, yes, the men came to me, but I didn't know where they came from. And at dusk, it was time to close the city gate. They left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You can catch up with them. But she had actually taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax that she laid out on the roof. Uh, these flat roofs were great places to be able to lay out the stalks of flax for them to be able to dry out. And so she took them up and hid them under those stalks of flax, these long, uh, dried pieces of grass. And that's where she hid them. But when the uh, soldiers from Jericho came and asked where they were, she just immediately began to cover for them. Now, this, this brings up an interesting point, which... Parents, you can have this discussion at lunch today with your children about the importance of honesty. Because this presents us with a little dilemma. Rahab lied. She just straight up lied. Is lying okay? No, lying is not okay. However, in this situation, when it was, <laughs> when it was a matter of life and death, now I know, I know people can go all kinds of ways with that. Life and death for the sake of God, for the sake of the gospel. It would be like people who hid Jews during Nazi Germany. Are there Jews in this home? No, there's no Jews here. What are you doing? You're lying to protect a life. That's noble. That's honorable. That's acceptable. But kids, to tell your parents you're going to Chick-fil-A with the youth group when you know you're going to some party at somebody's house that you know your parents wouldn't approve of, that's lying. And if you be lying, you'll be frying. I'm just telling you. Okay, y'all can have that conversation about what's right and what's wrong. You can draw up your own list. Here's acceptable lies, unacceptable lies. Y'all with me? Okay, so verse number eight, before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and she said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear has fallen on all of us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea uh, for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did at Sion and Og. Those were two cities just on the other side of the Jordan that they had completely wiped out on their way to Jericho. And the word on the street was Israelites are coming. Watch out. And uh, she said, of the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I've shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you'll spare the lives of my father, my mother, my brothers, sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives. The men assured her, if you don't tell what we're doing, we'll treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. And that's exactly what happened. They entered in to the city of Jericho. They wiped out the city of Jericho. The only family that was spared was Rahab's family. Ultimately, Rahab marries a man by the name of Salmon, who is an Israelite from the tribe of Judah. They have a son by the name of Boaz, who is the husband to Ruth, 
who got a whole book in the Bible. Uh, Rahab is great grandmother to King David, the father of Jesus, the adoptive father. Joseph is uh, a descendant, a direct descendant of Rahab. Now, Rahab has this great lineage, but it all changes with this encounter at Jericho because her life was headed in a different direction up to this point. Her life was headed for destruction up to this point. Her life was headed for death up to this point because everybody in that city died. Her life was about to be over. But everything changed when she had this encounter with God. Now, she's not really a likely candidate to be a hero of the faith. She's a prostitute in a corrupt city, pagan city that was under God's condemnation. She's probably not in the right circumstance to have an ideal encounter with God, yet she does. Now, here's what I want you to realize. Her actions to save the spies, her faith in God, and her willingness to align herself with God is what saved her. I want to say it again, because I want you to get this. Her her actions, her works, because I'm going to get to faith and works here in just a minute. Her works to save the spies, her faith in God, and her willingness to align herself with God and God's people saved her. See, the reason I'm saying this is because there's a lot of people. They love God, but they don't align themselves with him. We love Jesus, but we don't align ourselves with Jesus. We love worship, but we don't align ourselves with the God we worship. We love community, but we don't align ourselves with the community that this the the God that this community represents. We love all the blessings and the favor and we love all that stuff, but we just don't like doing the hard things to align ourselves with the way God wants us to live. See, just like Rahab, her life was changed with this encounter. She went from uh, one destiny to a new destiny. Everything changed. Her life was about to be over and destroyed, but yet she has a new lineage because of her faith in Christ, her faith in God. It's much like the woman that was caught in the act of adultery. She's caught in the act of adultery. And what does Jesus tell her? You know, your past is forgiven. Continue to live the way you live. Just be nice to people. No, he said he expected a lifestyle change right then and there. And he told her, go and sin no more. See, there's a whole lot of us that we've, we've got, it's like, it's like we live our lives prior to Christ with these shackles. We've got these chains that are wrapped around us and we're all bound up. And then we experience Christ and the lock is unlocked. We could be free, but we choose not to be free. We choose to stay in bondage. We choose to stay shackled, limited, restricted. We choose to drop those chains and be gone. But you can't live in freedom and remain in bondage. You have to step out. What am am I saying? Here's what I'm saying. When we come into faith with Christ, he expects a lifestyle change. If you're lying, quit lying. If you're cheating, quit cheating. If you're in addiction, get free from the addiction. You got a a porn problem, get somebody to help you. 
Come on, if you're bound in unforgiveness, you've got to be willing to forgive. But you don't know what they did to me. All I know is when I'm in alignment with the word, the word says, if I expect to receive forgiveness, I must be willing to forgive. It's the hard thing. It's aligning yourself with God's word. You got quit sleeping around. You sleeping around, quit sleeping around. You shacking up with somebody that's not your wife, quit shacking up. In fact, the Bible makes it real clear. He just puts everything under this one term. Flee sexual immorality. What is that? Any type of sex outside of God's plan of sexual intimacy, which is between a man and a woman in holy marriage. That's what God's word says. So we have to align ourselves. It's the hard thing. It's the works. And I'll be honest, it's a whole lot easier to preach grace and mercy and favor and blessing and love. But there's another side of this. It's faith and works. And I know why we don't like to preach it. I know why you don't like to hear it. It's the hard stuff. But we're going to miss out on God's favor, blessing, and eventually eternity if we don't walk both roads. Faith and works. Look what James says. There's two passages of scripture in the New Testament that bring Rahab into the story. In James chapter two, look at this, beginning with verse 20. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Well, that's pretty plain, right? Faith without works is dead. I mean, you've got faith, but there's no works. Your faith is really irrelevant. It's dead. Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he had offered Isaac, his son, up on the altar? What was Abraham doing? Aligning himself with God. He was doing the hard thing. Likewise, also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she received the messengers and had sent them out another way for as the body without the spirit is dead. So faith without works is dead. James mentions only two people here when he addresses the relationship between faith and works. Abraham, the father of this whole thing and Rahab. Faith without works won't cut it. There has to be faith in a loving wonderful God and aligning ourselves, the works of lining ourselves with his word. In Hebrews chapter 11, here's where Rahab is brought in again. This is where Paul is listing all the heroes of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. And he says, by faith, the walls of Jericho came down after they were compassed about seven days. By faith, the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not, even when she, or, or when she had received the spies with peace. Only two other women, or only two women are mentioned in this list of hall of faith, the heroes of faith in Hebrews 11, Sarah and Rahab. So James mentions Abraham and Rahab. And here in Hebrews, Paul mentions Sarah and Rahab. We understand the Abraham and Sarah, but wow, Rahab gets mentioned in the hall of faith and is mentioned here in a teaching about faith and works. Obviously, the story of Rahab deserves our attention. Her life deserves our attention. So I'm gonna do this real quickly here. I'm gonna give you nine things real quick that we learned from the life of Rahab. And the first is simply this, that she believed. She believed, she put her trust in God. Let me ask you, who are you believing? Who are you believing? Are you believing God? Are you believing Fox or CNN? Who are you believing? You got to believe God. Who are you believing? Your friends? I mean, thank God for friends. 
but they're ultimately not the ones who know the truth, <laughs> who you believe in. Number two, she heard, and you can go back, you can, these are all on the Freedom Church app and you can look at the scriptures. She heard, who are you listening to? Who are you believing? Who are you listening to? Number three, she confessed. She made a confession of who God was. You gotta make a confession. I'll come back to that at the end. Number four, she prayed. There's a lot of us that have prayers. We come to God, we have prayers. God will hear our prayers. God has heard your prayers. God is answering some of your prayers even right now being in this place today. Number five, she received. You gotta be willing to receive what God has for you. Number six, she worked. She did the work. She put the scarlet thread outside of her window. She let them down. She hid the spies. She did what she was told to do. She did the work. She aligned herself with God, even at the sake of her own peril with the uh, rulers there in Jericho. She did the work. Number seven, she obeyed. She did what they told her to do. Number eight, she was saved. At the end of the day, she was saved. Joshua 6, 25 says, Joshua saved Rahab the heart alive and her father's household and all that she had. And she dwelt in Israel even unto this day because she hid the messengers which Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. And then number nine, all of this because she had faith. She had faith. Hebrews eleven thirty one by faith, Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies. Rahab proved her faith and God was real by hiding the spies. She had faith. Yes, she was a sinner, but she experienced a life change with God. Every single one of us are just like that. We come to God with our imperfections. We don't come to him perfect, unblemished, without any spots, without any wrinkles. We come to him messed up. Even at our very best, we're still lost without him. And Jesus Christ comes in and he changes us. And it takes a simple act of Romans 10, 9, and 10 that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is the Lord and we believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, then we will be saved. For with our heart, we believe. With our mouth, we confess and we are saved. You, you have to go through the same process that Rahab went through. But here's what I want you to realize. Most people don't really know what they believe until they're put in a life and death situation. C.S. Lewis said that in different words. We don't really know what we believe until it's life or death. I read the story of Ken Davis, or he was writing in his book and wrote this story, this illustration. He was in college and it was a speech class and he was supposed to give a speech and a demonstration, explain it, demonstrate it, and then drive the point home. So he decides he's going to explain the law of the pendulum. So he explains this law of the pendulum and all the mathematical factors and the physics of the law of pendulum and, uh, and shows them and demonstrates it by uh, taking a little toy top, you know, those tops that you can spin and they just spin around the room and tied it to a three foot string, tacked it to the top of the chalkboard and then took the, the, the top and brought it over here, marked the point where he releases it. He releases it, it swings to the other end and he marked the place where it reached and then he showed the law of the pendulum. It goes back just short of its spot of origin and then goes back just short of where it swung the last time until it finally comes to a conclusion. Everybody applauded 
thought he was done till he said, no, I have one more demonstration. And he had taken four or five, 500 pound parachute cords, tied them to the rafters above, attached to 250 pound metal weights. And then asked the professor to sit up on a table, on a chair with his head against the cement wall. And he took the weights and he brought them right up to the professor's nose and was gonna release it and let it swing back. And he asked him, do you believe in the law of the pendulum? Yes, I believe in the law of the pendulum. All right then, then you know you're in no danger. The law of the pendulum says this will swing out and will come back just short of your nose, but will not hit you. And we'll swing and continue. All right, you believe in the law of the pendulum? At this point, sweat beads are popping on his forehead and on his lip. And he finally, he releases the 250 pound weights and it swooshes across the room only for that professor to get up off that table and move like he's never moved before with just proving he really either, he didn't believe the law of the pendulum or he didn't believe in the one who was demonstrating that the cords of the weights were going to be correct. The fact is many of us, we say we believe one thing, but when it becomes to a life and death situation, we really find out whether we believe it or not. I'm challenging you to put your faith in a God that will never let you down. I'm asking you to put your faith in the son of God who will never, ever let you down. You can trust him. You can depend on him each and every day. Now, listen, there's a scarlet thread that runs throughout the Bible. The scarlet thread, the scarlet rope that Rahab was told to let down out of her window that would indicate to the Israelites to spare this house. That scarlet, red run, uh, scarlet thread runs throughout the whole Bible. Starting in the Garden of Eden, when animals were slain, blood was shed to provide skin to cover up Adam and Eve. The blood was shed. It's the scarlet thread. It continues to run. Abraham offers a ram as a sacrifice. The blood is shed when he sacrifices for his son the blood is shed. It's still the scarlet thread. For thousands of years, animals are sacrificed in the temples and the tabernacles. Blood is shed. It's the scarlet thread. The Passover lamb, blood is placed on the doorpost. And all who stay inside the home, when the death angel passes over, their lives are spared, just like the scarlet thread that hangs from the window of Rahab. If it's hanging there, their home will be spared. It's the blood is shed, the scarlet thread. Even John the Baptist, when he sees Jesus coming, he said, look, the lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. What is he saying? The lamb of God, this is the one who will be slain. The blood is shed. It's the scarlet thread all the way to the cross of Calvary where Jesus is hanging up on the cross. And there upon the cross, his blood is pouring from the wounds in his body. The blood is shed. It's still the scarlet thread. Hebrews 9.22 says, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. The scarlet thread is significant all throughout the Bible and it's significant in the life of Rahab because it tells us that this scarlet thread becomes the line, the demarcation that separates us from our past and launches us into our glorious future. 
It's the one that draws the line from our failures and our mistakes and eternal damnation and allows us to step into the glorious life that God has for us. But you got to be willing to draw that line. You have to be willing to draw the scarlet line, the red thread. You got to get lost in it. And unless, unless you're willing to align yourself with this crimson thread, you'll forever stay in the failures of the past and you'll never step into the beautiful thing that God has for you in the future. In the 14th century, Robert Bruce was leading Scotland as they were fighting for their independence from England. And he was on the run. England was en route searching and trying to destroy him and kill him. They didn't want him to ascend to that throne. They were chasing him. He was actually running through the forest and hiding out. And while he was hidden, his attendant was with him and they could hear dogs barking, following his trail. In fact, England had used his own, Robert Bruce's own bloodhounds to chase his scent down through the woods. He hears them coming and his attendant says, we're done for. They've got your scent. They'll find us. He said, it'll be all right. Follow me. Robert Bruce got out of his hiding place and stepped down into a stream and walked upstream, made his way up some ways up the stream, got out on the other side and was lost in the forest. The dogs followed the scent all the way up to the stream and stopped and looked confused. English soldiers prodded the animals, keep searching, keep searching. They couldn't find it. They had lost the scent of their master. A few days later, Robert Bruce is sitting on the throne of Scotland. You know why? Because the scent of his sin was lost in this stream. The scent of his life was lost in this stream. And that's exactly what every single one of us have to do. We have to come to a place where we get into the stream and we allow the stream to wash away all of our past. Here's what happens. If you don't get in that stream and you don't allow the stream to wash away your past, you will forever be condemned in your failures of the past. But you cross over into that stream, you step into a new destiny, into a new future. You step into the wonderful throne that God has for you. You step into the glory that he has for you. This stream is the crimson stream of the blood of Jesus Christ. And it separates us from our failures and allows us to step into our future. It separates you from your past and it gives you something beautiful in the present and the days ahead. It separates you from every mistake you've ever made. It allows you to step into his glorious destiny for your life. You gotta be willing to step into the stream. The crimson stream is still alive and well today. You can stay over here on this side and continue to do life your way, but the hounds of sin will hunt you down. They will find you and they will destroy you. Or you can step into the stream of his forgiveness and allow him to forgive you and then step out into something new. The new is hard. The new is difficult, but the new has some glorious rewards that you'll never get on this side. You've got to put your trust in Jesus.